or not, Emmanuel is with us. How many of us know that truth? How many know that Jesus came here to reassure us in no uncertain terms that God is actually with us and he's for us? And uh, I titled this message, you know, Fear Not, because most people here might not recognize that that prophecy given by our prophet Isaiah in his seventh chapter, which we will go through tonight, that we have this great messianic promise, Emmanuel, God with us, most don't realize why it was given. It was given to encourage the nation of Israel, specifically its king, not to be fearful of what's going on around you. Emmanuel, God is with you. How many people need to understand that today? As Christians. I know we got our act together here and everybody's not afraid of anything. There's no anxiety represented in this room and everybody's in full control of their emotions. No one's concerned about the uncertainty of the future. No one's worried about their finances, their health, their children, their jobs. I mean, we, we really don't need this verse of scripture. How about we go upstairs and just eat? But really what God is doing here as we get into our text and you follow along that God is really reaching down into the greatest need of humanity. We are a fear-ridden people. Amen. In every small and great way, it's always there. Sleepless nights and deep concerns, uncertainties, anxieties, and we can go on and on and on. We all have them. We could be strong in nine areas, but there's that one area that can weigh us down. And the message from God, from Isaiah, from Matthew today, and the best I can do is fear not, Emmanuel, God is with us. Amen? Amen. Christmas comes and it goes for most people of Christian persuasions, whether we're Protestant or Catholics. We like our gift giving and we like the characteristics of the season of joy and songs and festivities. We enjoy that very much. But we don't realize the multifaceted gift of Christ. And of one of the things I just spoke about was to deal with the fear in our life. This Christmas message is about what fears do we have? I really want to apply that even now as we're going into the teaching. What is it that really holds us back in life? What, what is it that drags us down? What is it that consumes our thoughts? What is that fear? I know what I have as a pastor. As a husband, just as a Christian man, what I see going on in the world, I have deep concerns. But i got to remind myself that Jesus Christ is God's testimony to us. Fear not. The true king who's on the throne is in control. I need to hear that. Fear is that emotion, whether it's real or perceived, and many times our fears are more perceived than they are real, have the ability to push us in wrong directions, looking for right answers. And we have a story of that tonight. We have a man, a king named Ahaz, filled with fear of what's taking place around him, and he's looking for a good answer in the wrong place. He's going to another kingdom instead of going to God and looking for an answer. How often as Christians, we have God right before us. We're Christians. We have the word of God. But yet we'll look to other sources when the times get tough. 
We'll forget to pray. We'll forget to read our Bible. We'll forget to encourage one another. We'll forget to, oh, I can't go to church. I'm worrying too much. Don't you understand? I, how can I go to church? i got to stay home and worry. Read my Bible. Who's got time to read the Bible? Don't you know what's going on in my mind? But at the end of the day, when we really want to analyze it, God is the only true source against all things. You know what? He's consistent. And there's nothing that comes against us that God is not for us and we're more than conquerors in Christ. Though this verse in Isaiah is familiar, the surrounding circumstances, as I'm going to speak about, are not. So I really want you to follow along with me today before we have a deep, so we can have a deeper understanding as the Christmas season goes on. And I'm going to speak about certain components that this, that this text is uh, speaking about. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 7. It would be good to read it so you have an understanding. I'm going to read in Isaiah 7, chapter, starting in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Dotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Chazab, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway to wash his field, and say to him, the king, the fearful king, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramallah. Because Syria with Ephraim, the son of Ramallah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in its midst. Thus says the Lord, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. If you are not firm in your faith, Ahaz, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask for a sign from your Lord, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you, the weary men, that you will weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We have this wonderful verse of scripture. We all know it. Most of us know it from our childhood up. We know it from the New Testament context. But why was it given in the first place? It was to comfort the king in a trying time and to comfort the nation's life. God with us. A physical, tangible sign is what God did in the Old Testament. He gave physical, tangible signs of his presence, of his power, and of his wisdom to comfort his people. There's four or five things I need to speak about so we do understand 
what's taking place in these 14 verses. I need to speak about it in a historical context. I'll spend a couple of minutes. I need to speak about the nature of prophecy. What's prophecy mean to you and me today? What does that mean, prophecy? It means everything to us today. God's not a man that he would lie. If he gives a promise, guess what? It's going to come to pass. And he wants us to understand it. Then we have to understand the, the relationship between a prophet, Isaiah, and a king, Ahaz. There's a relationship. There's a, a special God-ordained relationship that's needed to be understood. And then we're going to look at it quickly of the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And maybe some applications if I get to it for our personal lives today. If you have any fears, if you have no fears, then you know something, you, you won't need this sermon. But I think, like the rest of us, we do have our fears and we have our concerns and we mask it very, very well. But behind closed doors, when we're all alone, we know the voice of fear. We know it. First, the nature of prophecy. I'm going to give you a little basic sketch over here. Prophecy is the foretelling of some future event, either very close or off into the future. Or it could mean both. That's what a prophecy was. It was usually an encouragement to the nation and to the king at the time. The prophet would come and give an encouraging word at a fearful time. And that's what we have tonight. It's usually given to some historical situation of importance. Uh, which tends to be at dangerous times in Israel's history. When Israel was about to do something really wrong and really bad and get themselves in trouble, God would speak to them an encouraging word. Some prophecy also had a dual significance. It, uh, it could be immediate, like I said before, and a partial fulfillment, and then eventually uh, a further ultimate fulfillment. And that's what we have tonight. We have this partial giving of this virgin birth. But the ultimate fulfillment of this would be in Jesus Christ. When God says to the whole world, good news I bring to you. Peace to all men. That's the gospel message. That Jesus Christ says to the whole world, God is with you. This prophecy is the first of 22 messianic prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in the book of Isaiah alone. 22. When you take all 22, I'm not going to do it tonight, but it's a great story. When you look at all 22 prophecies just from the book of Isaiah, and you start to get this composite sketch of the person and work of Jesus Christ. A lot of us, we know it all. You know why? Because if you're a Christian, you know New Testament religion. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything. He is the virgin born of the, the son born of a virgin. He is a son given to us, a child is given to us in chapter 9, and on his shoulders will be the government of God. He's the suffering servant in Isaiah 49. He dies for our sins in Isaiah 53. And he's going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth where the lion and the lamb live in harmony with one another. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of it all. So when we put them all together, we get a composite sketch. And that's what we do every Sunday when we get together and we study our Bibles and we read and we worship and we pray what we're doing. We're looking at the composite sketch of the awesome, mighty wisdom and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, guess what? Guess what begins to dissipate? Fear. Fear. I wish I could snap the finger over you today and wave a little wand. 
sprinkle some water on you and all your fears are going to go away. I cannot do that. I can promise you this. Today can be a beginning of a new day where fear starts to diminish in your life as Christ gets bigger in your heart. That I can promise you because that's what the Bible teaches us. The second thing is the relationship between a king and a prophet, in this case Isaiah and, and, and King Ahaz. The king ruled the people on behalf of God. That was his job. He went out before them. He was the military leader. He was the military strategist. And, and what he did, he kept the people safe in all their foreign affairs. That was, that was the king's job. He represented the, king, the real kingship, which was God himself. He brings security to the people. His job was to bring security to the sheep. Ahaz wasn't doing a good job. And it says Ahab and the people were what? Were afraid. How bad is the nation when the leaders are afraid? I mean, how do we stand the chance? Then there's the prophet of God. Where the king stood before the people, the prophet stood before God. He spoke God's word to the king. He directed the king. At crucial times, he directed the king and the nation. That was the prophet's job. That's Isaiah's job now. He has no other job whatsoever to sit around, read his Bible, and do whatever God tells him to do. And be a spokesman. That's what it meant to be a prophet. To be a spokesman for God. His job was to go to the king and bring him the insights and wisdom of God. Usually the spiritual health of the king and the spiritual identity of the people were the same. If, if the king was bad, guess what happened to the nation? They were bad. It's the whole Old Testament. The prophet would be used by God to direct the king at these crucial moments in the nation's life. Many times it was for correction. Which was most of the time. Because the Old Testament teaches us Israel were, were the most faithless people on earth. But they were God's people. And other times it was to encourage. Or sometimes the word came to do both correction and encouragement. The prophet's message would go like this. You ready? I'm going to paraphrase. Israel, Ahaz, even though you've been unfaithful and the people have been unfaithful, nevertheless, I'm the true king and God of Israel. I will remain faithful. No matter how unfaithful you are to me, I'm not going to be unfaithful to you. I'm going to bring some disobedience. I'm going to bring some correction into your life as a nation. I'm going to give you some disobedience. I'll correct you for your disobedience and your lack of faith. But ultimately, I'm going to protect you. Even from your self-inflicted wounds. That's good news. I'm going to save a remnant. And eventually, I will save all true Israel from both Jews and Gentiles. That's Isaiah's message. Isaiah spoke at a time when the nation was so unfaithful. And God told him, go speak to my people. So that when they hear, they're not going to listen. And when they see, they're not going to perceive. Their hearts are so dull that even though Emmanuel, God is with them, they're still not going to believe. But tell them, I'm going to save a remnant. I'm going to love them anyway. That is the basic message of Isaiah. Historically, King Isaiah finds himself between a rock and a hard place. He's in a really awkward position. He's been living on someone else's 
accomplishments. He's, he finds himself in a kingdom that's doing okay and he hasn't done much. He hasn't been faithful to God at all. But all of a sudden he finds himself with two other kings in alliance against him. They're threatening him as the king of Jerusalem. He's walled in. He's in the city. But they're right outside taunting him. They're ready to destroy it. Unless he surrenders and accepts their terms of putting a puppet king in there and that they become the owner of Jerusalem. They want to widen their own political and military power over the whole region. But right now Ahaz is in the way. So they're coming down to Ahaz to set up a puppet king and dismantle Jerusalem and set up a new kingdom. They're breathing down the neck of King Ahaz. He finds himself at the water, at the pool, at the conduit with his military strategists because they know a siege is coming. And to you and me, a siege ain't much. But if you lived 2,000 years ago and there was two armies encamped around your city to lay a siege, that meant you starved to death. Or you died of thirst. This is a serious situation King Ahaz finds himself in. I want you to know his fears are genuine. These are not perceived. This is a real and it's an immediate threat to his life, his ministry, his kingdom, and the whole nation. This is critical mass. Something needs to be done or else it's finally over. This sets the whole stage for King Ahaz's reckless and faithless strategy. Instead of trusting in God, guess what he wants to do? He wants to go to his enemy, Assyria, another nation, and say, would you come help me? That was his great brainstorming. I know you and me, we run to God immediately, don't we? We always run to God immediately to comfort us and to have the answer, don't we? We look at Ahaz and say, Ahaz, you've got to be kidding me. Like, we never do it. But the truth of the matter is we're still doing it. If we look at our life, we're still, we know God's the answer, but sometimes he's not the first one we run to. i got to call up somebody and tell them what's going on in my life. Did you hear? Let me tell you how bad it is. I'm like, did you pray over this? Is God in the equation of this whole scenario that's going on in your life? Did you pray once over it? Did you get on your knees? Is there a verse of scripture you're holding in your heart? Or you just want to get on the phone and tell everybody how bad it is? You see, that's what Ahaz is doing. He's going through a tough time. And he's not calling out to God. He's calling out to anybody who would listen. And guess who's listening? His enemy. But that's what fear does. I don't want you to miss the theological implications of what the Bible... Fear will drive us to do some crazy things. We've all looked at times in fear and we can see a bad choice here and there. Instead of trusting in God, he makes an alliance with Assyria. Ultimately, our prophecy of Jesus finds itself smack in the middle of this. Will you trust God or will you trust something else? That's what it comes down to. Maybe I can troubleshoot my own problems. That's usually a short shelf life with that. You ever troubleshoot your own problems? You have a knack of coming what? Back. Come back again. Because God hasn't dealt with it properly. We haven't dealt with the help of God properly. So that's what we got. We got this wonderful prophecy. We say it all the time. Emmanuel, God with us. And we don't realize the reason it's given is because we are fickle. 
And though we know we should go to God, he's usually the last one who gets our call. I want to go to our text. There's three elements in verses 1 to 9. I'm going to read 1 to 9 and give you three elements that teach us things. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you the elements first. There's Ahaz's assessment of the problem. There's God's assessment of the problem. And then we're going to find a spiritual principle. You either live by faith or you die without it. Because without faith, it's what? Impossible. To please God. So listen to those three things as we're, as we're going through uh, these nine verses of Scripture. Let's look at it from Ahaz. Let's look at the situation and then look at it from Ahaz's. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, resident the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest before him as the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go and meet Ahaz and his son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway of Wash's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint, because these two small, this is God's assessment. These two smoldering stumps of firebrands are on their way out, is what he's saying. Or at this fierce anger of residency. I'm God, not them, is what he's saying. Verse 9. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. But what God is saying, if you, if you are not firm in faith with me, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, the slew of Goliath, the God of Joshua. If you are not firm in your faith to the God of the Bible, you will not be firm at all. That's what he said. So the first one is Ahaz's assessment of the problem. King Ahaz and his team of great advisors are surveying the water supply, trying to determine, can we survive a siege? They're shaking in their boots. Fear has gripped them. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest, shaking the wind. This is the emotional element. They are paralyzed. You can feel the fear. They have nowhere else to go. Physically. But they're missing their whole understanding of God's love for them. The whole thing is emotional mess. All they can see is what lies ahead of them. They cannot see God. God is not in the equation anymore. I often talk to people in council. I listen to what they got to say. And they're true Christians. They love the Lord. Now listen, I'll listen, listen. And I got to step in and I got to say, where's God in the equation? I know it's real, but where's, what verse of scripture are you encouraging? What promise of God that Emmanuel is with you are you encouraging yourself with? Because you're going to be paralyzed and you're going to look to somewhere else for the answer. So that's what Ahaz that's going on. He's so bent on fear, he cannot see God's assessment. He can't even hear it. Even when the prophet comes, he knows that's just, the prophet's job is to speak on behalf of God. He cannot hear it, nor does he want to. His assessment is 
we need help, we need it immediately, and it's not going to come from God. Then there's God's assessment found in verse 4. Isaiah said to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. You know, sometimes we've got to speak that way to each other. I was teaching karate. I had a really good student. And uh, he was making his way up through the ranks. And he, 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 he's coming to a big tournament. This is a big platform. There's spiders all over the world coming. Uh, and this is a tough crowd he's fighting against. And he did well on his first fight, the second fight, the third fight. And now he's going to fight the champion. And I remember him. And the guy's tough. But my student was tough. But this is his first cut at a higher quality of fighting. And I remember him looking at me and he said, Sensei, I'm scared. So I did the only thing I could do. I slapped him as hard as I could in his face. <laughs> and I said, you get out there and you fight like your life depends on it. Take it one second at a time and fight to win. All your training is with you. You can do this. And so he went out and he fought and he fought the man toe to toe. He ended up losing in a draw, but he learned a lesson that day. I learned a lesson that day. We all need a smack in the face sometimes by the Lord. We need, the pastor has to do that once in a while. That's why Paul told Timothy, the word of God is good for what? Correction, rebuke, encouragement, instruction in the ways of God. Sometimes you got to say, hey, where's God in the equation? Emmanuel, God with us. God's perspective is this. These two kings together at their best are like a couple of pieces of wood coming to the end of their burning power. They're over. 65 years, they're not even going to exist as a nation anymore. Why are you worried about them? They're mere mortals. I'm God. I'm on the throne. The end is coming. They don't even realize it. That's God's way of saying their best days are behind them. Their end is imminent. And I, God, are in control of their demise. Ahaz doesn't see it as often as the case. He does not see what God knows. Me and you, when we get around the word of God, we're hearing what God knows. Not what we see. We see dimly as in a mirror. But God knows it all. And there's a third thing in verse 9. True faith. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. He's basically saying they're just humans. They're mortals. They're dead men. The son of. I'm God. But he says this. If you are not firm in your faith to me, God who's proved themselves faithful to you and your whole nation for a thousand years, then you know something? If you don't have that kind of faith in me, guess what? You're not firm at all. You're going to continue to shake. You're never going to learn the lesson of walking through fear. Learn the lesson of going through the fire, but God is with us. Going through the waters and not being overwhelmed. But he's saying this. But if you choose not to believe in me, 
and not firm in your faith about what I can accomplish, even in the face of terrifying odds, like I did to Moses at the Red Sea, as I did to Joshua at the Jordan, as I did with David and Goliath, Ahaz, there's nothing I can do for you. If you don't believe what the book says about me, if you don't believe in the testimony of my own attributes, of my kindness, my covenant love to you and a nation and all the other kings, then what can I do? Then you're not going to be firm at all. Assyria is not going to help you. Nobody else in the world is going to help you. You're going to fall. If I'm not the foundation of your life and your ministry then you have no hope. If I'm not the foundation of your marriage, there is no hope. If I'm not the foundation of everything in your life, eventually something's going to creep in and take over. If God's not the foundation, people, there's a lot of faith in the world. People are trusting in rocks. They're trusting in clouds. They're trusting in, in trees. They're trusting in the sun god, the moon god. Uh, they, 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 but they, what makes faith real is the object of our faith. And so God is telling Ahaz, I'm the object of your faith. It's real. I'm not a man that I will lie. I have the attributes of wisdom and power and love to back up what I say. I can prophesy and bring it to pass. As Christians... Sometimes we do real well with trusting God, don't we? Then at other times I'm like, oh God, you know, and we're looking for answers everywhere else. And, and then God loves us and he brings us back. What he's saying, don't trust in Assyria. Don't trust in chariot. Don't trust in horses. Don't trust in man. Eventually they'll be your enemies. Trust in me. Verses 10 to 14 reveal something extreme about God. As you don't know if God's extreme enough. It reveals God's faithfulness to Ahaz and Ahaz's false humility. Listen to verse 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. You think by now God would just leave. But he doesn't. Again, the Lord speaks to Ahaz. That means the prophet went to Ahaz rejected him, Isaiah went back to his cave with his Bible and he read and and then God said, go back to Ahaz and tell him, ask a sign of the Lord your God. He's reminding Ahaz, I'm the God of Israel. Let this sign be as deep as heaven, the deepest show and as high as heaven. Now, we might miss something here and what we're really saying is, is God is pleading. He's pleading with him. I'll give you a blank check. Ask whatever you want. Gideon threw out the fleece. Joshua had sons. God, God gives signs to his people in the Old Testament to say, I'm with you. Ask anything. I know you've been faithless up to this point. I'm giving you another chance. Ask anything. God doesn't need to do that, but he does it. Because God knows the ramifications of this king's bad choice. As a pastor, I'll speak to husbands, I'll speak to leaders, I'm saying, this is devastating to a family. This is devastating to your ministry. You are a leader. You have to hold yourself in high integrity and regard. You have to live this life out as though if you fall, something horrible is going to happen around you. Sometimes you've got to speak it like that. 
You've got to speak the consequences. We didn't read the rest of this chapter, but the rest of the chapter gives us the consequences of his bad choice. It's not good. God knows the ramifications of his faithfulness. Read the rest of the chapter. Basically, God is saying, Ahab, your faith is, if anything, it's small. Ask me any possible sign to strengthen your trust in me. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As I was with every king before you, I will be with you. But you have to have faith if you're going to stand firm. If you don't have faith, you will never be firm. And Ahaz, listen to Ahaz. I will not ask a sign. I will not put the Lord, the God, to, I love this false humility. That's like when I'm speaking to people about God, they're like, oh, God's got uh, so many other concerns. You know, I can't bring my concerns to God. And, you know, like all of a sudden, like that's that, this act of pious humility. What they're saying is, I have no faith in God. I'm too busy. I don't want to ask God anything. I don't want to put him, the Lord your God to the test. You see, Ahaz's words are really revealing. As words always are revealing. First of all, he quoted a verse of scripture from the Old Testament where Moses said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus Christ uses that. So he took a verse of scripture out of its context to really, as a pretext, to hide, I've got no faith. That's what he did. He took a verse out of its context, he applied it to his life as a pretext to say, I don't believe in your God. Many times I'll be speaking to people about God and they'll quote this scripture and quote that. I'm like, you've got to get that away and get back to Jesus. It's, a, it's about Jesus. Bring him back to Jesus. This man's false humility is a camouflage for no faith in the power, the wisdom, or the promises of God. Ahaz is saying this. I don't want to wait 65 years for the answer. He does not want to exercise trust. You ready? In the midst of prolonged threat. You see, people can go through a test for an hour or a day. But when you go through a year... Five years or ten years with something burdening you, and all you have to hold on to is the word of God, it reveals who we are as Christians. Many times the things we go through, the challenges and things of life are prolonged. He's got no time to wait 65 years. He's, he's, you know, could you imagine being Isaiah, Ahaz and with his, his staff and military leaders and the prophet comes in and says the child's going to the mother's, the virgin's going to be with a child they're like get out of here I want to hear about this silly thing we, we got a war over here don't be giving me this prophecy this promise of the virgin having a child pastor I don't want to hear that God is for me and who can be against me pastor I don't want to hear the righteous shall never beg for bread I need an answer I need God to do something now tangible not these intangible promises I got to hang my heart on and find hope. That's what Ahaz is saying. I want an answer. I don't want to exercise faith. I don't want to live by faith. I don't want this prolonged situation in my life to go on. I want an answer. I want it now. And if God don't give it, I'll go to somewhere else. I'll go to Assyria and I'll get my answer. But I'm going to get an answer. He doesn't want to trust in God. This leads to our first of 22 messianic prophecies. 
He says, all right, you don't want a sign, you don't want to ask for a sign, therefore, he says this, since you won't believe or even ask for a sign to give you faith and start all over with me, guess what? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz had to find out the hard way that if you don't ask for a sign to encourage your faith, I'm going to give you a sign that affirms your lack of faith. Historically, this must have meant something to Ahaz. We don't know how it was fulfilled, but somehow, someway, Ahaz saw a young maiden or a young woman or a virgin, and they got the news that there was a child, and he knew he was rebuked by God. The scholars just don't know. I'm not going to get into the technicalities over here. But something happened to remind Ahaz of his failure. But God just told Ahaz, instead of a sign to encourage you, this sign will be a sign against you. Because you would not believe. But this is what he's saying. But one day there will be an ultimate fulfillment of the promise. And then all true believers in Israel and all true believers among the Gentiles will know that God is with That's the ultimate fulfillment that the New Testament teaches us. And this is the bedrock of New Testament religion. God is with us. God himself took on flesh. God himself lived the life we were supposed to live. God himself died the death we were supposed to die. God himself raised himself from the grave, something we can never do. God himself ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Something that's given to us by grace as a gift. Jesus Christ is the ultimate man. Jesus Christ is the ultimate king. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment. And now because Jesus Christ has come, Emmanuel, God with us, we finally have hope. A real living hope that no matter how hard life gets, we don't go down to the gutter. We can walk with our head raised high and we can sing the song of redemption. I can still love people. I can still be kind to people. I can still be compassionate to people. I can walk peacefully amongst all men. No matter how bad my life is, I have that firm, steadfast faith. Because Emmanuel has come. Let me close with some New Testament understanding. I like this. This is what I read about and think about for 25 years. I love this part. I love it all. In the Old Testament... God gave these messianic promises from time to time. 22 in the book of Isaiah. There's over 613 of them in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we can distinguish between the prophecy of Jesus Christ being born of a virgin, Jesus Christ being the everlasting God, Jesus Christ dying at the cross, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, Jesus Christ ascended, and Jesus Christ coming back. But in the New Testament, it all comes together as a composite sketch. If I talk about the virgin birth, I have to talk about why he was born in the first place. 
And if he comes and he died for our sins, I have to tell you about the glorious resurrection. And if I talk about the glorious resurrection, I have to talk to you about the ascension. And right now he's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty praying and interceding for us. And if I tell you that, then i got to tell you, guess what? Ultimately he's coming back again. Fear not, Emmanuel is with us. Isaiah can say, Emmanuel, God is with us. Paul says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Isaiah says, Emmanuel. Paul says, we're more than conquerors. Isaiah says, Emmanuel. God, Paul says, if God did not spare his own son, how will he not now give you all things? Isaiah says, Emmanuel, God is with you. Paul can say, you're more than conquerors and nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where else are we going to go? If God be for us, who can be against us? Fear not. So I ask you this. If Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. If Jesus says, I and the Father will be in you. Isaiah could never say that. Isaiah could say, Emmanuel, God with us will come. But he didn't have the power to say, God will be in you. Then why are we still afraid? Why are we still afraid? What is it you're afraid of? I'm not talking about the, you know, you're going to miss the bus going to work. Or not getting a parking space or hitting traffic when you're coming to church. I'm talking about those things that you know in your own heart and my own heart that seem like giants from our perspective. But from God's perspective, they're smoldering wicks, ready to be distinguished. What are we worried about? Has God pleaded with Ahaz? Our job as ministers of the gospel, when we preach, is to plead again and again with myself and with you. What are we afraid of? The ultimate sign of God with us is not, I hear, yeah, you know, I, I saw this thing and then I got a phone call and it was the same number and that was my, my uncle's number and, and all of a sudden I got this sort of mathematical equation as a sign that God is what? That he's with me. I'm like, no. The virgin is the sign that God is with us. Being born of the Holy Spirit, being born again is a sign that God is with us. I don't have to hear for a voice. I don't have to run to the, uh, you know, the, the, to a seance. I don't have to run to the, 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 the Ouija board. I don't have to speak to the Spirit. It's, it's, uh, 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 uh. I get that all the time. I get that all the time. You might be here today. You might be running here and there looking for an answer to life because you've got fear about death. You've got fear about your loved ones. Are they in heaven? Are they in hell? And you're going through all this thing and you're paying all sorts of money because you want an answer. Please, the answer is Jesus. Come and give yourself solely and wholly to Jesus 100% and God will alleviate these earthly fears that we struggle with. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love that you gave your son to us, God, that we are surely more than conquerors, Father God, that we really, really can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Father God. I pray, God, for myself and for this congregation, forgive us if we ever taken a promise of you and turned it into a cliché. 
that has no more power. We just say it. God is good all the time. And we say it. But do we live it? Are we like Ahaz, Father God, giving you a cheap excuse that we don't want to test the Lord? Strengthen our faith, God. We believe, but help our unbelief, Father God. And I pray for anybody here that maybe has never, ever come personally to Jesus Christ to ask for forgiveness so that he can be saved and she can be saved. I pray that even right now, in their hearts, they accept you as Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for your word. Let it be encouraging, Father God, not just today, but through this rest of the year and the rest of our life, let us always be reminded, if God be for us, who can be against us? In your name.